Hey, welcome to the Bioinformatics chat. This is Roman. Before we start, I have a small announcement to make. I'm going to have to significantly reduce the amount of time I spent on producing this podcast. I actually considered declaring it finished, but uh, maybe I won't go that far. Still, the episodes are going to be much less frequent and regular than before. Uh, and I realize they haven't been exactly frequent. Uh, but, you know, if you stay subscribed, I might surprise you with an episode once in a while. As for today's episode, it was first published on the Compositional Podcast, which is another podcast I help produce. The background for the episode is that Twig.io, which is a company I work for, and also the company behind the Compositional Podcast, has a fellowship program. As part of this program, they give out stipends to people, not necessarily students, by the way, to work on cool open source projects for three months. And so this is an interview with one such fellow, Apostolos Helkis, who worked on a Python package to analyze steady states of metabolic networks. I hope you find this interesting, and if you want to learn more, I'll link Apostolos' blog post, uh, which goes into more detail and demonstrates how the package can be used. Apostolos, tell us a bit about your background, what were you doing before you started your fellowship? I'm a PhD student uh, at the University of Athens in the Computer Science Department. Um, I'm in my third year of PhD. And so before uh, TIG Fellowship, um, I was working on uh, my PhD topic, which is um, uh, on uh, computational geometry and statistics. And more precisely, I work on uh, Markov chain Monte Carlo sampling uh, with applications in um, bioinformatics and uh, and finance. Um, but actually, the m- most of the time of my PhD, I work on existing or new um, geometric random walks for sampling uh, high dimensional uh, uh, distributions and. Um, I also uh, write uh, open source code. Um, actually, I, I implement those methods or uh, the new algorithms we design and so on. Yeah, that, that's very cool. And so, you know, normally when we hear uh, Mark of Chain uh, Monte Carlo, we think about uh, sort of Bayesian inference and the standard Bayesian methods, and mm-hmm. maybe we don't immediately think about uh, computational geometry or um, random walks. So maybe you could expand a little bit on how how you approach this uh, subject. So uh, my work is on uh, uh, more on uh, on high dimensional distributions that are truncated on on convex uh, sets. Uh, for example, uh, polytopes. Uh, you can think a polytope as a, as a 2D polygon or a 3D polyhedron. And so a polytope is, uh, is, is a polyhedron in higher dimensions. And um, for those dis- distributions, um, 
the the issue is that and and the the, the problem is that uh, the uh, the distribution is is truncated and so you have to work on special algorithms and methods in order to sample from it and also uh, there are uh, specific applications in Bayesian uh, statistics and uh, specific models that require sampling from uh, uh, fr from truncated distribu distribution. So th this is a specific thing on my on my PhD. Uh, and the random walks and the, uh, the, the in in this case are called also geometric random walks because you have. Uh, geometric objects and uh, specific structures on, on your problem that they have geometric interpretation. So you actually there is a lot of geometry that you have to, to handle and, and work on. Yeah, so just, just in case it wasn't clear for our listeners, uh, when you say restricted distribution, uh, you, and so you, you already described what a polytope is, it's a n-dimensional polyhedron. Um, mm -hmm. And so your task is to sample randomly, random points from this uh, polytope, right? Um, and the random walk is how you how you do that, right? Uh, it's how how you pick points at random from from the polytope. And uh, maybe you could describe like a very simple scenario where we need just a uniform sampling. So we have a polytope and we want to pick a random point at um, uniformly distributed random point from, from this polytope. So what's the simplest way uh, to do that? We can take, for example, hit and run algorithm, which is a popular uh, uh, algorithm to, to, to sample from, uh, from a polytope. And actually hit and run, what it does is that being at a point in the interior of the polytope, uh, it selects a random direction. And then this direction forms um, a line passing through that point, okay, so that, through that Markov point, which is the current point of the, of the random walk. And then this line hits the boundary of the polytope. So we have a point, a line, a random line passing through that point that hits the boundary of the polytope. And then what you do is that you compute the intersection of the line with the polytope. So you have a segment now. Okay, so you have a random segment passing through your through your point, and then you select a, a, a random point, a uniformly distributed random point on that on that line, and this is your next point of your random walk. Okay, and then you you move to that point and you continue the same procedure. You you pick an, another random um, direction, you have another uh, segment, and you pick another point. And so you start from the point that you sample on the previous step, right? But you only pick the random direction at each at each uh, step. Yeah, yeah. In each step, you pick the random direction and you compute the intersection with the point with the boundary point. And the billiard walk, which is a much more efficient random walk, uh, it does the same thing, but when it hits the boundary, uh, it, uh, the, the, this line is reflected. So it performs a several number of reflections, boundary reflections, and then it stops and takes the new point. So you can come up with different algorithms, but some of them are more efficient than others. So how do you measure this efficiency of a random walk? Yeah, the, the difficult part also here is that as you go in, in higher dimensions um, and you for example, you perform one step of your random walk, so you are at point 
x, you move at a point y, and then at point z, and so on, and you store all of these points, for example, you store 1,000 points, then those points are not uniformly distributed on the polytope. Okay, if you do it for a 2D polygon, then it might be, but uh, if you do it for 100-dimensional polytope, then no way. Uh, so, uh, the, the efficiency of a random walk uh, is the number of steps that you have, or the, or the number of Markov points that you have to burn, not to store, okay? Uh, so, such that at the end, the point that you store is, is uncorrelated with the starting point. So, 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 the efficiency is the number of steps that you have to, to perform in order to forget where you start from. So, you start at the point X, and you perform, uh, you have to perform a, a sufficiently large number of steps in order to forget X. So, uh, so there are random walks that they forget the starting point very quickly, or there are other random walks that they forget it, you know, very slowly. And this is the efficiency. Is that how the algorithm actually works in practice? Does it make, let's say, 10 steps for each one point that it remembers? Or is it just just a notion to in order to explain the efficiency, but in practice you store all those points. Uh, in in no in practice you don't store all all of these points. It depends on the, on the random walk. It depends on the efficiency of the random walk. Um, because if you are in very high dimensions, the number of points that you have to store, if you store all of them, okay, the number of points that you have to store to to obtain a uniform sample, for example, uh, is is too large. To store it in a, in a in a computer, so you have to burn points in order to to be able to store them, okay? Um, and, and and then you you try experimentally to find a good uh, walk length. You, we we can refer to it as a walk length, the number of points that you burn, uh, in order to to have a, a sample that is sufficiently close to a uniformly distributed sample. So maybe we could uh, introduce the notion of the effective sample size. And from, from what you're saying, um, what, what I get is we want the actual sample size not to be much larger than the effective sample size, because in, if, if it was much larger, it would be just inefficient from the point of view of like storing all the data. So we want to bring the sample size closer to efficient to the effective uh, sample size. Exactly. As you increase your walk length, uh, and for example, you fix the number of points that you that you store. Okay, the, so let's say that we have that we sample 1,000 points, and then as you increase your walk length, and at the end you you store 1,000 points. Um, yeah, at the end you you are going to have a sample that the effective sample size of it is it's much larger, and just to be yeah to to. To clarify, it, the, the 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 effective sample size uh, is the is the number of uh, independently uh, is is a number of independently um, distributed point from from the target distribution that your sample is equivalent to. How do you define that equivalence? If you want to use your sample to make an estimation, right, to to estimate the quantity, uh, then um, the effective sample size is the accuracy that you... So, when you use your correlated sample, okay, you are going to get an accuracy. 
and the effective sample size of your sample is uh, the is the answer to the question what is the number of independently uh, distributed points that are going to succeed the same accuracy with your sample wouldn't the accuracy depend on what exact statistic you're trying to estimate so if you're estimating the mean versus the variance versus some some other versus the median wouldn't the accuracy be different between all these cases actually always you try to estimate the um, value of a function right so this function is also a random variable because you uh, you, you sample from a from a distribution so your your points are, are you sample are also random variables so the the quantity you estimate is also random variable and um, it it has um, a, a variance okay itself so um, every function that we estimate has a variance and this is the notion of of accuracy when you make an estimation with a sample but again it would depend on on the function you pick right yeah it depends on the function you pick and when this variance is uh, is large then you don't have a good accuracy you have to uh, increase the number of points that you have to sample okay so the, the, then uh, as an, as this number increases as you sample more, as you sample more number of points points then the variance of, of any function that you estimate gets smaller um, but there are functions that you have to sample for example one or two thousand points and this is okay but there are functions that you have to sample much more uh, points to have the same variance and so what i get from this is um, there's no like standard effective sample size but there is an effective sample size per function so you need to specify what function you want to yeah. estimate its expectation exactly. and then with respect to that exactly. you get an effective sample size so we um, we went pretty deep into the computational geometry and, and mathematics let's now get to to the biology because uh, you did a lot of interesting stuff with the biological applications and uh, first uh, i'm curious how you ended up in the in the realm of biology why did it interest you actually i at some point of my phd i read a paper about uh, metabolic networks and that uh, there is um, that there is a specific approach to analyze those uh, networks with uh, sampling um, okay uh, sampling actually uniformly um, from the interior of a polytop so you, you you can represent the network as an as a polytop and then sample and so on. So there were many papers on that, and um, from my research I knew that uh, that I I could uh, improve it. Uh, so I, I I could design a new method that uh, it was better than the existing uh, the, the existing ones. Uh, so, but, but my problem is that I, I didn't know almost anything about uh, biology and um, metabolic networks. So at that point, I, I, I remember that I had a friend in uh, Crete, in the University of Crete, in at Heraklion, at the city of Heraklion, that does his PhD on uh, on uh, bioinformatics, uh, and he has a, a biology. Um, you know, background. He he graduated from uh, from the biology department of, of, of at the University of Athens, 
and oh, I, I just wrote at him an email, asked him, what do you know about this this uh, specific problem, or uh, what do you know about metabolic networks, and so on. And the interesting thing here is that he was also uh, very interested on, the, on that problem, but uh, his problem is that he, he didn't know almost anything about computational geometry and sampling, so we unite our forces, and... Yeah, we work on that on that problem. Uh, he helped me with the biology, and I helped him with uh, computational geometry and sampling. And we came up with a new method uh, to you know to for for for, uh, yeah, for analyzing networks with sampling. Yeah, that is awesome. Yeah, and uh, let's now introduce this notion of a metabolic network. What what is it? Yeah. Um, actually, any uh, every organism or, or a cell, um, uh, or in an organ or, or in, in any cell, there are many or thousands or uh, dozens of thousands uh, chemical reactions that uh, are taking place. Um, so the but on the other side, uh, the 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 products of its reaction affects. Uh, any any other re reaction the so because its reaction what it does is that it takes um, a number of uh, reactants inputs and has a, a specific number of, of outputs okay, the, the product uh, so in um, in an organism these uh, these inputs and outputs affects uh, affect each other so the inputs and the outputs of its reactions affect the inputs and the outputs of any other reaction because Maybe re reaction A products, um, you know, a metabolite that is used to another reaction as, as an input and so on. So you have a network that each reaction affects the other one and this is affects another one and so on. And the thing now is that um, when, you, when you leave this model to run for a... Um, uh, you know, a sufficiently um, large uh, you know, time interval. You what what the network what this network does is that uh, tends to to balance. Okay, if you assume that um, it's it's not affected by by its environment. Okay, the number of metabolites that are uh, for each metabolite, the quantity that is produced. Is also consumed by uh, by other reactions. Okay, so and this holds for every for every metabolite. So then the 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 quantity of metabolites that all the reactions needs is equal to the to the quantity of metabolites that all the reactions produce. And, and this is called the steady state of, of a metabolic network. When when the rate of production is equal to the rate of consumption, then uh, we say that the network the network is at a steady state. Okay, and this is the 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 um, this is the, the states that we are interested in. We we, we actually uh, we we want to study the network under the assumption that it is in a steady state. Yeah, and it's it's good to mention that it's just an assumption. It's not like we're pretty confident that it's not what actually happens in an organism because there's always dynamics. There's always change to which our organism responds. But um, it, yeah, it just turns out that this assumption often is is a useful one. It's, it's very hard to analyze this large scale network 
if you also add all the dynamics of it, like how it evolves with time, but a simplifying assumption is let's let's consider the state where everything balances uh, balances out. And so you wrote this package that does some analyses on the metabolic networks and more specifically on the steady states, like it, it discovers the steady states of metabolic networks. So what are the different approaches to to d- the discovery of steady states? Yeah, actually there are, um, uh, there is um, a very popular method that is called FBA to analyze metabolic network uh, networks. And what FBA uh, does is that... And let's clarify, it stands for flux balance analysis? Yeah, flux balance analysis. And the, the first more, more important assumption that FBA does is that... Um, the, the the biomass of uh, the network takes its possibly maximum value. Um, so the, the the biomass is uh, the total quantity or weight of of the organism in a given area or volume. Um, so w- we assume that uh, the network is is uh, in that. Uh, you know, optimized uh, state. It has this optimized behavior. Okay, uh, and then uh, what um, what FBA does is that it computes a steady state that corresponds to that optimal uh, uh, you know behavior. Right. So, so by the way, if we didn't do that, if we didn't impose an objective function, we would just have too many sta- steady states, right? Uh, there's not a single steady state. Steady state. There's typically a lot of steady states. So we need to add some additional constraints or objective functions to specify which one we uh, we want. Yeah, and and this is the, I think this is a half of. Uh, of the, of the whole truth because um, it is yes it, it is true that there is an infinite number of steady states and also there is an infinite number of optimal steady states uh, because actually what is a steady state the steady state d- declares the uh, the rate that its reaction its reaction is um, is is taking you know the, the activity of its reaction so. Uh, uh, when you have um, yeah so what FBA does to study this this set of steady states because uh, you you can find uh, an infinite number of of, uh, you know um, of of steady states is to impose yes as you said uh, additional constraints to to compute optimal an optimal steady state, but again, the the the, the thing is that th- th- there is not a single optimal steady state, but actually FBA imposes an, an additional constraint just to be able to to obtain a, a steady a, a, an optimal steady state. But there are but but are, there are also an infinite number that is is not taking into account by FBA. Um, and this is the, the main drawback of, of, of FBA, that uh, first it, it cannot handle, um, you know, the initial space where, where you don't impose an additional constraint. Where you, where you and what, what is that, what is that uh, additional constraint? 
that that the that the value of the biomass is uh, takes its uh, possibly maximum value. Oh, okay. So so that's the constraint you you refer to. Yeah. So if if you if you don't depose it to the network, then FBA does not work. So FBA cannot take in take into account the steady states that have you know any other value that corresponds to any other value of the biomass of the network. So th- this is the first drawback. So you cannot study your network at uh, in an unbiased, let's say, uh, state. Yeah, uh, in an unbiased behavior with respect to the biomass. And the second is that okay, let's impose that we have an um, an optimal an optimal behavior of uh, of our network. So the biomass takes its maximum value. Then again, there are an infinite number of uh, of optimal steady states, but FBA can can compute just a single one. Okay, and and this is the second drawback that there is too much information that FBA does not take uh, into account. Okay, and this is where we come and where where flux sampling comes, and what it says that okay, let's impose uh, the, the this additional constraint. Okay, um, what we what we do now is that we uh, describe mathematically the set of of this op- optimal steady state, which is a polytope. Yeah, so so that's exactly where the, this discussion connects to our previous discussion because yeah. uh, the the listener may be wondering like why did we have this weird discussion about polytopes and mm-hmm. and random okay. walks? But it, it all comes together right now because, as it turns out, the steady states of a metabolic network they actually form a polytope, right? Yeah. Exactly, and this is where where computational geometry meets uh, metabolic networks. Um, yeah, and 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 moreover, this is where uh, Markov chain Monte Carlo sampling meets biology because uh, the next step is to sample from that polytope uh, to sample uniformly distributed points, uh, which is equivalent to generate. Uh, uniformly distributed steady, uh, optimal steady states of the network. So, of course, you assume that every optimal steady state has the same probability to to be picked by the network, okay? And then you you sample optimal steady states, and then instead of a single optimal steady state, okay, in the case of FBA, you have uh, you, you generate as many as you as you like, and then you can do a statistical analysis on uh, uh, on the on that set, and what you get is that uh, you you have much more information than than uh, FBA can uh, can provide. Okay, of of course you don't have any guarantee that you are going to um, that sampling is, leads always to a better result or a more sophisticated uh, you know. Uh, conclusion about your network and so on, but th- th- this is of course it depends on the problem, on the specific structure of your problem, of your, the question that you that you study. But uh, for sure, you have much more information that you can, uh, uh, you know, handle and um, and work with to to try to 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 lead to a much more, uh, you know, uh, to, to enrich actually your your conclusion. Yeah. And one other question we should probably cover here is why do we need sampling at all? So the steady states, they form a polytope. 
which is a you know, properly defined geometrical geometrical object. And if we want, if we need to do some analysis, we could do this analysis on the polytope directly. We we can have its analytical specification, and if we want to estimate some function, so the expectation of some function over the polytope, there probably, I'm guessing, there exist analytical methods to do that. So why would we resort to sampling here? Actually, we need um, sampling because we uh, in higher dimension we cannot use uh, the uh, the explicit representation of, of a polytope to to estimate the, the quantity uh, that we are interested in uh, so f um, for example the, the, yeah as the dimension uh, grows you, you cannot compute integrals over a polytope or you you, you cannot uh, estimate, um, you know, probabilities distributions that are that uh, corresponds to random variables that we are interested in, and so you, in in lower dimensions, of course, you you can compute those things exactly, but in higher dimensions, it is not, uh, it's uh, it's it's not possible to do it. So you need uh, you need sampling you need um, from certain distributions in order to estimate those quantities. And what what would be these um, quantities, for example? Uh, in, in metabolic networks, the the main problem is to have an an, an estimation about the fluxes of uh, of the reactions, uh, and then try to, to to correlate those fluxes with the biomass or with other biological quantities and so on. But everything starts from the fluxes, which uh, represents the activity of its of its reaction. Um, and, and the important thing about sampling is that you can um, model your uncertainty about fluxes with uh, uh, using as much information as uh, as you can. Um, and more specifically, you you can use sampling to estimate a probability density for its flux. And then have uh, you know um, the whole story about your uh, your, your, your flux and instead, for example, uh, um, having a single value or um, something that that you cannot be sure how possible is that is is to be picked by by the network. So yes, having a, sing a single value, you don't know how possible this value is to be is to be picked. So using the sample, you can have you know, a statistical um, um, model for, for your, uh, for your, uh, yeah, for your fluxes. So you were working on uh, this Python package called Dingo that implements these, um, these algorithms. Can you talk a little bit about what Dingo can do at this point? Yeah. Um, Dingo, uh, performs uh, three methods um, for anal analyzing metabolic networks. So it can be used only for uh, metabolic networks and uh, it, it can compute the... Uh, it can perform uh, FBA or another method that is also very popular which is called uh, flux variability analysis and this is FBA. And the third one is flux sampling. 
and Dingo uses uh, the method that we have developed with uh, my uh, you know, friend from Heraklion at Crete and, and some, uh, yes, use this Markov chain Monte Carlo method to generate uh, steady states. And then it can also perform some statistical uh, computations and so on to help you uh, analyze those steady states. Cool. And uh, actually, by the time this podcast is released, there will be a blog post uh, on Twig's blog where uh, you show um, how to apply your package to some interesting uh, data. Um, so uh, please go and check out that blog post. We'll uh, put the link in the description of the podcast. So in terms of the future plans, do you uh, do you have any particular research directions that you'd like to explore after this? Yeah, um, actually, I will stay on this uh, kind of Bayesian uh, models. First of all, the next step on, on that uh, on that specific problem of metabolic networks is that there are uh, also larger metabolic networks that Digo um, can supply from. There are. You know, yeah, here I have to say that Dingo is um, uh, is the most efficient package for sampling, right? For for sampling uh, metabolic networks. I mean, it can sample from uh, the latest human uh, metabolic network. But there are some metabolic networks that have never uh, been analyzed uh, before. Uh, so yeah, Dingo was the first package to analyze Recon 3D, which is the latest human metabolic network, but there are also some uh, even more high-dimensional networks that we are not able to, to sample from them. So we, the next step is to, uh, you know, improve more the algorithm. Yeah, so we need the new algorithmic tools and, you know, some specific things on um, uh, on, on the on the random walk that we have to to improve and also improve our uh, uh, implementation, our code. And then the next step is to sample from those from those networks. Um, and also there are a few things that I want to complete uh, for my PhD. Uh, for um, you know, it's it's again sampling for from for other uh, Bayesian models. And by the way, one thing that we should mention that we didn't somehow mention uh, before is that um, your package not only does uniform sampling but you can also incorporate the objective function so it's a sort of like a middle ground between the completely unbiased uniform sampling and fba which optimizes a specific objective function and uh, you can incorporate that objective function but more like probabilistically can, can you talk a little bit about that yeah uh, actually as we said before um, you can uh, consider the steady states that uh, uh, that you you haven't imposed any any value of uh, of the biomass on them, um, so uh, you, you you can uh, so you have the set of uh, of all possible steady states, and here let's say that you have your the set of optimal steady states, and while FBA forgets about the first set and goes directly to the second one and computes an optimal steady state. Uh, our approach is that uh, you can incorporate this function, this biomass function, 
and then define it, um, you know, um, uh, actually distribution or um, um, the, the thing is here that you uh, you make an assumption that you say that the the higher the biomass value is the most the, the, the higher the probability that its steady state is going to be picked but it doesn't necessarily have to be an optimal steady state uh, but it can be close to be an optimal steady state so we we incorporate this function and we we define um, a, 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 you know um, a proper distribution that we sample from it and then we have this, uh, you know, uh, we, we, we unify those two approaches. We, we have the, the set of all possible steady states, but also we have high probability to select steady states that has higher uh, biomass value, but not necessarily an optimal uh, biomass value. And then, so we add a, a bias here. We have, uh, we have a, 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 instead of imposing a, a specific value, we, we impose a, a biased behavior for, for the steady state. We say that, yeah, you know, we have high probability to pick a high biomass value. And then we, we can also parameterize this, uh, this bias. So we can, um, we can impose a very strong uh, bias for, for this, for this prob probability. So, yeah, and also we can uh, lower this bias. Uh, which actually is uniform sampling. So, so it acts more or less like a Bayesian prior, right? You can have either a strong yeah. prior or a weak prior or no prior at all, at which point you get a uniform sampling. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You can start from an agnostic prior uh, and then you can finish to optimal steady states. And you have a distribution that unifies those things. You, you unify um, agno agnostic, uh, you know, uh, prior with uh, certain uh, biomass value. Okay. You, you can unify those things. Agnostic prior with FBA. Yeah. All right. Well, Apostolos, uh, it was great working with you and good luck um, in your future research. Yeah.